0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, February 6th, we are studying John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71. At the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus has taught plainly that he is the bread of life, and that those who would have life must eat his flesh and drink his blood. How will his hearers react? That's what St. John records for us at the conclusion of this chapter. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor James Uglum. Pastor Uglum serves at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. Pastor Uglum, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. So we get started this morning, Pastor. Give us some context. We are at the end of John six this morning. We've been slowing down, working our way through this chapter very methodically. What should we know about the context, big and large, that'll help us into the conclusion of the chapter today?
1: Yeah, well, when you look at John six, it's you know really kind of you know one whole chunk. There's a reason why you break it down uh, when you're doing a study like this, because if you didn't, you would be here for hours and hours. Uh, there's just a lot that goes on. And a lot as you begin uh with john 60 uh john 6 verse 60 that uh, you've got to you know remember and look back at so we you know right off the bat we start today with this uh with verse 60 uh where john writes many of his disciples heard it and they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it and obviously without the context of everything that goes before uh you're left kind of scratching your head well what is the big controversy uh that is going on and so when you look back, uh, you get this bread of life teaching. And today, uh, we're wrapping that teaching up and we get the reaction of people, uh, to this, this teaching of Jesus. But when you, when you look back, uh, before that you've got the bread of life discourse, and then before that you've got the feeding of the 5,000 and each one of those in sequence kind of feeds and builds off of one another. Um, as I was looking at this again, uh, one of the things that struck me is how jesus appeals to moses and the scriptures and the things written about him uh you look back at chapter the end of chapter five just before uh, jesus feeds the five thousand and then jumps into this discourse on the bread of life Uh, he says this in verse 44 of john 5 how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only god do not think that i will accuse you to the father there is one who accuses you Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Uh, and this, I think, really sits at the heart of the, uh, the debate, the trouble that Jesus' disciples have, because Jesus is making this contention that all of the scriptures speak and point to him, um, and that's a feature of John's gospel itself. Uh, you look at how he begins that, uh, with that connection to Genesis. Um, John is really making this appeal that Jesus made in a you know, made throughout his ministry, that all of the scriptures are pointing to him. And, and the, you know, the only appropriate way for us to read them is to read them in light of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. so that's a, a lot of the, the background that goes into this. The other kind of interesting thing, um, when you look just more broadly speaking at the scriptures is, uh. The other place I think that our minds kind of most naturally take us when we think of this idea of uh, the Old Testament pointing us to Jesus and Jesus kind of opening up the Old Testament for us is uh, the end of Luke's gospel, where Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and there uh, we get this this little uh, notation in verse 27 of Luke 24. So, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. And every time I I hear that passage or I read it, I just wish that that we had kind of the the script of what Jesus said as He opened the scriptures and did just that. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and and then as I was, I was reading John again uh, this week, I realized this is actually what John does for us: is he he gives us these snippets these snapshots of Jesus opening the scriptures up and revealing how they point to you know us to him and we see this in the Bread of Life discourse and his discussion about manna and uh, the Israelites' experience of it in the wilderness so let me I'm, I
0: really appreciate you bringing out that full context and even taking us back into chapter five, because we've it's been a while since we've been in chapter five, sure, at least here on sharper iron. And just that reminder that Jesus was talking about how he is the fulfillment of Moses, that Moses and all of the Old Testament is really all about him. As we think about then what it means that they hear this and call this a hard saying, what, what you're reminding us is that the hard saying isn't only the very specific things that Jesus has taught, that his flesh must be eaten and you must drink his blood and that he is the bread of life. As hard as those are, there's even a more foundational issue that's difficult for these people, which is the fact that they've been reading the Old Testament all wrong. They haven't been leading, reading it in light of Christ. And that's going to be just as hard of a saying for them to understand what Moses has written. In light of Christ and all these claims that Jesus is making, saying you know what what happened with the manna, there was something more there, and it was talking about me. Just that more foundational issue—that's a hard saying for them as well.
1: Yeah, and it's easy for us because you know, of course, we've got the benefit, uh, benefit of hindsight, the benefit of you know hearing and seeing these signs that are recorded, and of course, the sign of signs, Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. Um. You know, the disciples and uh, the disciples, broadly speaking here that this crowd of disciples that we're going to see, of course, they, they didn't have that. Um, they had, you know, the promises and the prophecies of Christ, but it's, and this is one of the things that it's helpful for us to, when we slow down and we're reading the scriptures ourselves to, to put us in their shoes, because John is really posing us this question, who is Jesus and what do we do when he doesn't meet our expectations? So. Yeah, it's, it's more than just this one hard saying from the end of the passage from yesterday. It's, uh, it's the way that Jesus uh, is what he's doing as well as what he's saying and how he's interpreting scripture. What you were talking about, the expectations we have of Jesus, I think is a really important
0: thing to keep in mind as we read John. We talked about this toward the beginning of the series here on John in, in chapter 1 where Jesus first speaks in the gospel of John, he asks Andrew and probably John, the apostles, the other disciples with him, he asks them, what are you seeking? We talked about how that question then guides us through the gospel of John as, you know, what are you looking for from Jesus? Are you looking for what he's coming to give? The gospel is going to help us, as we've been seeing, understand what it is that Jesus gives so that we might receive him rightly. But I think one of the things we are going to encounter in this text is that question. What happens when people aren't looking for the right thing from Jesus and they realize they're not going to get what they were looking for, how are they going to respond to him? And we're going to see that side of the reaction and, and the other side from the disciples as well. We're going to see both of those at play in this text today, which is, I mean, we've seen that already within the, the whole of chapter six, we've seen some of those reactions of people thinking they're going to get something from Jesus and he's been teaching them all along. Well, I've got something different, but it's better.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, Uh, you know, in John's got in in chapter six, we've got the feeding of the 5,000. And of course, you know, the, what is it that that crowd is seeking in the immediate aftermath of that, uh, that event, that miracle, um, we get verse 15 where perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him King, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so, you know, right away, we've got these, these people who are, they see this sign, uh, this, and they're fed with this manna uh this bread uh, that reminds them of the manna and you know then they chase jesus down you know they uh hop on boats uh, across uh, the sea of tiberias to find him um and when they do that's when jesus launches into this bread of life discourse you know what are you really seeking um, you know truly truly i say to you you're seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the God, uh, God the Father, has set His seal. So, yeah, they're they're looking for you know really the wrong thing, um, but they're not alone in that because in many ways we all, you know, come at different times seeking the wrong thing as well. And hopefully, it's it's God's word, um, like we see here today that draws us back, uh, points us back to Jesus and uh, who we, we really should be seeking for. All right, let's go ahead and read the text for today.
0: We're in John 6, beginning at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take events at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. That's our text for today. That's John six verses sixty to seventy-one. So let's talk uh, just a briefly about the introduction there in verse sixty. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, "This is a hard saying." Uh, the word disciples, especially in this text, we need to make sure we understand that correctly. Normally, when, or I should say, normally, maybe often, right? When we say Jesus disciples, we're thinking of the twelve, the apostles. But it seems pretty clear in this text that disciples is used more broadly than the twelve.
1: Correct. Yeah, in this text, disciples is used um, as a broad designation for those who are following him, um, and so this is a, a mixed crowd. It's uh, it includes the the twelve that we most uh, often probably associate with that that term, uh, but it's also those who. Um, saw the sign of the feeding of, I thought, 5,000, uh, followed him there, you know, from uh, across the Sea of Tiberius to Capernaum in this gathering. Um, and it could refer to also those who had been following him, uh, you know, for some time before that as well. It's not just the twelve. Okay so and, and we see that that separation
0: made especially in verses 66 and 67 where those two groups are distinguished it's just important to keep that in mind as we picture this in our minds so many of these disciples those who have started to believe in Jesus and are following him broader than the 12 they've heard what Jesus has said and they say this is a hard saying who can listen to it what do we what do we make of this objection of theirs Yeah
1: I think it's it's a natural objection, um, especially in the sequence of how you're, you're reading it. So when you look back at verse 48, this is kind of the heart, heart of it, although it's broader, but you can capture it, the sense of it in verses 48 through 51. So Jesus says there in chapter six, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Um, You know, you don't have to come from a Jewish context to be uh, offended, to be, um, you know, taken aback a little bit by that saying, because uh, we have a natural aversion to cannibalism. And so, you know, as you read through that, you wonder, well, what is really, you know, what is Jesus really saying? Um. I think they're right in saying, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Because, yeah. you know, and the things that Jesus said after that, you know, he, he just reiterates what he said. He doesn't walk it back. Um, you know, so verse 60 really is their, their moment to kind of draw the line in the sand with Jesus and say, you know, have we really heard you right? You know, we're going to give you one more chance to kind of, uh, explain this to us, to, uh, to walk this back a little bit, um, but he doesn't do that. Um, and that's, I think, helpful for us when, not just in this passage, but in our reading of scripture, when we come across something like this, especially, you know, a difficult saying of Jesus, because there's more than just this one, obviously, that people struggle with, um, is to to not soften it or, you know, try to explain it away. Because when you look at the, the history of how, you know, Christians have dealt with this passage, uh, some of it is. An attempt to soften what Jesus says, or to explain it away. Um, this gets a little bit into the discussion uh, that I'm sure happened yesterday about the uh, what do you make of this text and what is Jesus really saying? Is, is this somehow uh, Jesus pointing forward to to what will come when he institutes the Last Supper um, right. and gives us right? Well, the Lord's Supper. Sure. So we, and we did talk a
0: little bit about that yesterday because it is, I mean, and you and I were talking about this before we started this morning, that it's hard to hear these words and not think of the Lord's Supper. And in fact, when we were talking about them yesterday, we, we did, or in the previous episode, we did talk about how, yes, there's a matter that this eating and drinking happens by faith. But even as we were talking about the text, then we kept talking about the ways that this uh, is made manifest and applies in the Lord's supper as well as one of those ways that the the receiving of Jesus own flesh and blood there in the, the Lord's supper. I mean, we just couldn't help but talk about it. So I, I think that's part of the hard saying here. How do you, how do you take this chapter?
1: Yeah. So, it, you know, for me, as I've read this, uh, I take this chapter as, um, you know, about as, you know, clearly Eucharistic as John gets, you know, as it you know, it does point us to the Lord's Supper, and I think it's intentional that way. You know, when you read through John's Gospel, uh, John is the only one who doesn't give us the words in instit- his institution. Where you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, in their accounting of the Lord's Supper, they do this, and it's not it's not for lack of treatment. You know, John spends quite a bit of time uh, detailing the events of that night, giving us uh, a glimpse of some of the events that the other gospel writers leave out of that night. But he doesn't provide that, and so you're you're left wondering. Well, why doesn't he make that more explicit? Um, or why doesn't you know he uh, more explicitly talk uh, about baptism? You know, so there are uh, definitely sacramental underpinnings in this, though. And I think when you look at the context in which this is written for John's hearers, you know, they too are are coming to this because John's writing uh, the latest of all the gospel writers. With the knowledge of uh you know matthew mark and luke um some of them with you know the knowledge of these events and so it would be almost impossible to to see uh, or to conceive of of a situation which a first century christian would not hear these words as pointing forward to the to the lord's supper this thing that they too have been celebrating weekly um you know to see in it you know hints glimmers uh signs of that i think i think that's you know how i understand this passage yeah yeah
0: i think i think you're right on and and again not just a first century christian but 21st century christians too i i think just to to read this and and not hear the lord's supper especially for those of us who who understand that what christ gives is precisely what he says this is my body this is my blood to hear the echoes here and to make application from this text to what we believe about the Lord's Supper, I think is, is very helpful. Certainly, we don't start with this passage. We talked a little bit about that yesterday, that we, mm-hmm. we start with the passages where the words of institution are recorded and, and then work our way outward from there. But this certainly seems like a text that we can say, okay, Jesus says that his flesh and blood that we eat and drink gives us eternal life. That sure seems to sound like what the Lord's Supper does. And I think we're right to apply it in that way because we know what it is from those other passages as well. So we're gonna understand this hard saying from Jesus in in that sense, and we're not going to to soften the blow. And I, I do think that's something, you know, from our text today and even throughout this chapter that we see from Jesus throughout, he's met with a number of of objections or questions about, wait a second, what are you, what are you really saying here, Jesus? And every time he doesn't say, well, I didn't really mean it the way you heard it. Right. <laughs> he says, no, I, I meant that. And let me tell you more. And and every time it, it's like, he just adds to uh, the the truth that that they're going to have trouble understanding, but he doesn't back down from that truth because it is the truth. And I think that's, that's an important thing for us to see in the way that Jesus speaks. And it, it can be helpful for us still today as Christians, that when you know when we have those who question what we are are teaching as the truth that we don't have to like back down from the truth but we can simply let the truth stand and speak that truth clearly and let the truth do the work rather than think we somehow have to defend it or or make it sound better to the ears of the world
1: right and i think as we read through this this text too we have to be ready to understand that when you know we're speaking that way when when we let the truth stand on its own there will be some selection of our hearers that just say, that's too much for me. That's where I draw the line and walk away. And not that we're ever comfortable with that or we want that, but just to realize that it's not on us to convict someone of the truth, that that's going to be the work of the Holy spirit. And, you know, it's our job simply to confess the truth and leave it. I think, um, in the hands of the Holy spirit at that point. Um, To not try to soften the blow, because in softening the blow, what you do is you wind up watering down the truth of the message itself, and I, you know, that's uh, not what God intends, uh, and it's not yeah. helpful. Um, right, for- right, and and certainly we, I
0: mean, we don't see Jesus ever soften the blow of His teaching, as you said. He, they're coming and saying, "This is a hard saying. Who can listen?" And Jesus, He knows this that His disciples are grumbling like this. And and it's almost like he he doubles down or ups the ante as he says, "Hey, you you're going to take offense at this." Well, what about when I start teaching you this? So so how does Jesus you know move into even more difficult teaching as he as he goes here in verses sixty two and following?
1: Yeah, so you know in sixty when the the disciples gather and they say, "This is a hard saying; who can listen to it?" Um, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, you would expect you know at this point. If he's going to soften the blow, it's going to come here that, you know, what the text doesn't say, it doesn't say Jesus then says, Oh guys, don't worry. I'm really just talking about, a, you know, a, a spiritual thing. This, you know, I'm not really, you know, I didn't mean it literally. Uh, so here's, you know, here's how you can make it palatable instead. He says, do you take offense with this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? Uh, and that really is the upping the ante on this. Um, you know, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Uh, there you know, are, are a number of connotations that this uh, should remind us of. Uh, John is using in this chapter this language of ascending and descending uh, a couple different ways. So he spoke earliest uh, previously in this about uh, the bread of life coming down from heaven. Now he's talking about, you know, the son of man ascending to where he was before. When you look at commentators, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll point to this ascending that Jesus is talking about as his ascension on the cross. Um, and that is definitely a S you know, a scandal for the Jews and a scandal for the world, but that's not what John I think is getting at here. And you see that because he adds that line at the end to where he was before. So what John is really talking about or what Jesus is talking about here that John gives us is Jesus saying to the crowd, uh, this disciples, well, if this causes you offense, what, you know, what would you do if you saw the son of man ascending to where he was before? Um, this gets at the heart of this question, who is Jesus and what is it that they're looking for? You know, if, if they're looking at Jesus just as a teacher, um, or even just as a, another prophet in the line of the prophets of old that language of ascending to where he was before um, would be extremely offensive. Uh, and so that's not where, uh, where he's going with this. And when you look at the context of John's gospel more broadly in uh, chapter 20, verse 17, this is where uh, you know after the resurrection, uh, Jesus appears to Mary in the garden. If you remember in that moment, uh, Mary's clinging to Jesus and he says to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Um, and so it's this ascension that they're looking forward to. And when we we step out even a little further from the gospel of John, um, we can see how they would, atta- they would take offense at this. You, you know, when you jump to Acts chapter seven, this is where Uh, Stephen comes in and he, uh, in that passage, you know, he gives his, uh, great sermon, his confession of faith. Um, and then at the very end, flip there real quick at the very end of this, starting in verse 51, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one? So even here, Stephen does the same thing uh, Jesus is doing, and John is pointing out, which is he's pointing throughout how you know how the Old Testament, the prophets, all point to Jesus being the fulfillment uh, of their message. Um, and he says, "The righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it." Now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him but Stephen full of the holy spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and Stephen said behold i see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God but when they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their e- but they cried out with a loud voice stopped their ears and rushed together at him then they cast him out of the city and stoned him And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, So, you know, hear what Jesus says. Do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Uh, We have this this historical moment that we can see exactly how they would have felt if they were to have seen Jesus ascending to where he was before. Because, you know, we see this in the action of the Jews towards Stephen. Hmm. Right. So Jesus does
0: not back down from the truth. He keeps teaching it, and we see in history what happens when they did see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. But none of this will prevent Jesus from continuing to teach the truth, which we will look at more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking John 6 this morning with Pastor James Uglum. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, February 6th. We are studying John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71 with Pastor James Uglum. He serves at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. Pastor Uglum, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus upping the ante, refusing to back down, even when those who are listening say it's a hard saying. We talked about how Jesus says, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, Then Jesus continues, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I think this verse verse 63 is one of those verses that maybe some is a reason why some would back down from this isn't maybe all about the Lord's supper here because of what Jesus says. The flesh is no help at all. He's just gotten done talking about his flesh and the need to eat it for having life So clearly, he he must be saying something different here about the flesh. Here, he's not talking about his own flesh, but something different. What is what is Jesus saying there in verse sixty three?
1: Yeah. So this would be the linchpin. Uh, It was interesting as I was looking at this again historically. You know, we have this big uh, debate at the time of the Reformation between a famous debate between Luther and Zwingli on the Lord's Supper and how do we how do we view what Jesus says there? Is this you know Jesus truly present? Is he? just kind of spiritually present Is this just a representation, Zwingli actually thought verse 63 would be kind of the, the linchpin for, you know, catching Luther off guard. And maybe that explains some of why Luther doesn't appeal to John six as being specifically Eucharistic. And he, he sticks with the words of institution when he's making that argument with Zwingli about, you know, how do we understand what Jesus says when he says, take, eat, this is my body take drink. This is my blood. Um, but no, I think what happens in verse 63, when Jesus says is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. I think the way he's using that word, uh, has changed slightly from the way he's using it in the, the previous, uh, verses and chapters. So, you know, now he's really speaking about kind of the, um, and I think this is, going to be a a lead into what he says down below in verse 65 no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father so when i look at this verse uh, it's the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all it's this idea that you know it's not our own wills that are going to avail us or our own reason or strength that is going to save us in some way Um, it's all about the spirit and this that also kind of Dovetails with what Jesus has set up to this point, especially in John's Gospel. Uh, you look back in chapter three. there's won't go into it too much for time's sake this morning, but there's a lot of really great connections between John chapter three, this incident of Jesus and Nicodemus who comes to him at night, and uh, what Jesus says here in this bread of life discourse. So in the you know, in a sequence, if you were to you know, put John 3, the text of John 3, side by side with John 6, um, there are going to be some really stark things that jump out at you. You know, Jesus begins both of these with some puzzling statements to Nicodemus in John 3. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus then asks him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Uh, We get this struggle that ensues as Nicodemus, uh, tries to understand what Jesus is saying, just like the crowd of disciples do here. Um, again, there in, in this debate with Nicodemus, Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't, you know, kind of water down what he's saying about, uh, the, the work of the spirit in us to be born from above. Instead, you know, he just kind of reiterates what he said. Um, in both cases, he's going to make his appeal through Moses. Um, and then in both cases, at the end, there's a departure, you know, Nicodemus, we're kind of left with this cliffhanger. We wonder what has happened to Nicodemus. Uh, we won't hear of him again until the very end. Um, and then likewise here, many of the disciples after Jesus says this, they're going to turn and walk away. Um, and then Jesus also, you know, uses this language, this, uh, this talk of ascending and descending that, that goes on. But there's there's a lot of really interesting things. But I think when you look at verse 63, um, it's not the linchpin that Zwingli thought it would be in terms of a spiritual understanding of the Lord's Supper, because Jesus has kind of changed how he's talking. Um, And he goes on, he says, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And talk about that more at the end here, but in verse 65, he says, and this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. This, this line, this uh, verse in verse 65 in particular, I think is what makes this saying, um, so difficult, especially for a a subset of Christians today who really hold to kind of this idea of, um, you know, free will decision, theology, you know, whatever uh, moniker you're going to attach to it, um, for them this saying you know and what jesus has set up to this point in chapter six really is hard because if you don't have a sacramental understanding of how god works in our lives and in the world um, then i don't think you've got a real great way to deal with this i think you know you either wind up doing one of two things walking away or just trying to look away and not really deal with the with the issue. Um, I think this can only really be understood when you have this sacramental understanding of how God works in our lives, uh, today, that he does actually work through means, um, and that he comes to us in, you know, bread and wine, uh, through these, through water that God, God comes to us in these physical ways. But if, if you're coming from a tradition that doesn't see that, I think this makes, uh, this really difficult And Jesus in verse 65. Again, just reiterates what he said up to this point in the gospel, which is this idea that no one can come to the father uh, unless, you know, he's, he's drawn that, you know, we just don't wake up one day and make this decision that, you know, this is from the beginning to end. Our salvation is all an act of God. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what
0: you were saying about connecting the word, the flesh here, being of no help at all to what we saw in John 3, I think is right on. And additionally, I was thinking all the way back to John chapter 1, to the prologue, where John wrote about those who would become children of God were born. He says, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. And, and I think that use of the flesh there in John 1.13 the same way jesus is speaking here and i think you're also right that it's leading up into verse 65 you have that parenthetical note in verse 64 but if you just kind of keep all of the words of jesus together as a unit then I think you see how verse 63 leads into verse 65, that that what he's telling them is the only way that you're going to understand these things and believe these things that I've been teaching you is through the, the Spirit who gives life. This is only going to happen through the work of God. To, to trust in Christ, to, to be a believer, is only accomplished when God works that in us. And, and we've seen Jesus teach that throughout this discourse. And as you said, it's a theme in the gospel of John and Jesus brings it up again here in verse 65, particularly, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. Talk, talk more about that verse and what that teaches us about the way we come to Christ.
1: Yeah. So this, of course, you know, what Jesus says here um, is going to be picked up by, especially the apostle Paul, but others as well. This idea that, you know when when it comes to our standing before god you know um just naturally that that we are are dead this is how uh, paul talks in ephesians chapter 2 um in verse 1 where he says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked um and that's something i think that is missed some sometimes people think of this just as kind of uh poetic language, but I think Paul means it in a very uh, very literal way that we are dead in our sin that there's is nothing that we can do um, to affect our salvation and that's that's tough not just for uh, some subset of Christianity that you know believed in decision theology it's it's tough for all of us because we we always want to believe that there is some part that we play, that we have some measure of control over our lives and salvation. It just flies in the face of our sinful human nature to believe that we are completely at the mercy of God. And yet that's the the witness of scriptures of, of the scripture, that uh, we are in God's hands. And that while that, for our sinful side, that can be a, a terrifying thing. Uh, we also, we don't just have the law, but we've got the gospel, this good news that um yes if if we didn't have the witness of Christ, that would be a terrifying thing. But when we understand God and we see God clearly in Jesus, um, then we see a God of uh, mercy and love, and that becomes a really freeing thing because then it's not on me. And in those moments where, you know, I'm doubting or questioning um or just uh, really struggling, then I've got something to fall back on um, as a believer, knowing that my salvation isn't depend on, dependent on me or a decision I made. It's all dependent on Jesus. Um, so when I was growing up, uh, one, of the, one of the classic ways I heard this talked about, at least uh, from where I was from and a lot of Baptist friends, uh, they likened coming to faith kind of like, um, you know imagine you were on a boat at sea, And in the midst of a storm, the boat sank and now the sea is filled with, you know, your, your friends, the, all those who were around you treading water. And unless something happens, uh, you're going to drown. Um, but then you see this ship in the distance and so you begin shouting for help and the ship, you know, comes forward and, uh, Jesus is there, you know, to rescue you and asks, do you want to be saved? And you say, yes. And Jesus jumps in and, you know, rescues you and you're saved and that's all great. But the problem with that is, you know, your salvation in that story is all dependent on the fact that you weren't completely dead. Uh, you, were, you were treading water, you were in, in mortal peril, you could say, but you weren't quite dead yet. And it was your hailing of Jesus that, you know, caused him to come your way uh, to kind of look up and see you in your distress. The, when you look at Ephesians 2 and you use the analogy Paul uses that you were dead in your sins, it changes that story. And I think, you know, the way I've uh, talked about this with our confirmation classes is, you know, use that same story, but use the words of scripture. So instead, you know, imagine you're on a, uh, a boat at sea with your friends, you're having a great time. Uh, then a uh, storm comes up, it sinks your boat and you all drown. And then, uh, Jesus comes along the next day, uh, he, you know, he's, he's sailing through the waters this, and he sees uh, body after body floating there in, in the ocean and Jesus jumps down without hesitation, drags your lifeless corpse up onto the deck, breathes life into you. And now you're alive. And what's your response, your reaction. It's only one of joy and Thanksgiving because you were dead and now you are alive and yeah tell my confirmation it's like this is this is what it means for us when we say that jesus is our savior it's not that we were just in mortal peril uh or we were uh, bleeding out and in serious trouble and jesus kind of patched us up and set us back on our feet it's we were dead there was nothing we could do we had no hope and god came and through jesus breathed life into us and that's what happens Uh, when we hear the word of God, that's what happens when we're baptized, um, that, you know, we are made alive again, um, given a new heart, uh, to use another metaphor for scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, the picture we get. And so when Jesus says this in John's gospel, no one can come to the father unless no one can come to me, unless it is granted by my father. That's what he means, you know, full stop period. Like there's no, there's no way to soften that, to change it. Um, you know, there is an important part, you know, our confession of faith is an important thing. Um, you know, but it's not, again, it's not a decision we make prior to salvation. It's, it's simply a confession of what God has done in us. So when we look at the rite of confirmation itself, it's not, you know, that's not, um, the Lutheran's version of, you know, our moment to decide, it's just simply our moment to say, yes, we believe that this is what God in Christ has done for us. Um, kind of like in the analogy from the boat, uh, it's, you know, that's our moment on the decks to praise God for what he's done for us in Christ. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not on us, it's on, on him. Well, I, I think the text gives us a, a
0: moment just like that as we go forward into the way people react to this, because on the one hand, we're going to see some who turn back and, and no longer follow Jesus, but then on the other hand, we're going to hear this marvelous confession of the of the Apostle Peter, and he's, he's going to do precisely what you're talking about. He's going to acknowledge who Christ is and what he's done, not because... It's something from peter himself but it's peter simply recognizing this great gift that he and the other apostles have have and are receiving from jesus so we we move forward then in into verse 66 and we see now again this broader use of the word disciples, not just the twelve that are being spoken of there in verse sixty six. Many of them turn back and stop following Jesus, which is a, a tragic thing. We shouldn't miss that. I mean, you know, this is just a—you think about you, these people. You, you talked about in Luke twenty four how, how marvelous it would have been to be on the road to Emmaus and, and hear that sermon from Jesus to those two disciples. I mean, how how marvelous would it have been to be in the synagogue in Capernaum to hear the word of life from the word of life? and yet in verse 66 you have this tragic reaction that some don't believe and we shouldn't miss that just the utter tragedy of, of having heard from Jesus himself and turning away from him god god grant that we would would not hear the words of Christ in that way but instead hear the words of Christ in, uh, as peter does
1: uh, take us into to these verses the aftermath of the sermon sure so verse 66 so after this many of dis- many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him as you mentioned uh just a complete tragedy that that's their reaction to the Word of God. And yet, you know, when uh, God's Word is preached in truth, I think that that is going to be one of the reactions that people have, uh, that many will turn away and no longer follow Jesus. And we need to be honest with ourselves as we read through the scriptures that there are going to be these moments for us as well where we encounter something that's particularly difficult to to believe, to hear, um, because the scriptures, you know, as the living and active word of God, they do convict us and confront us in our sin. And it's not always going to be a sin that we're willing to let go of all the time. And so we need to recognize that, um, this is, uh, a real tragedy, but it's, it's also a word of warning for us and, you know, kind of a, you know, what do we are, what are we going to do? In those moments when Jesus turns out to to not be the sort of Messiah that we may be looking for, um, there's a, a quote I had uh, heard from C.S. Lewis that came to mind as I was thinking of this verse, especially um, that you know you hear from some uh, non-believers, non-Christians, uh, really that kind of religion is this this balm, this thing that we turn to to make it feel better and and c.s lewis uh he says i didn't go to religion to make me happy i always knew a bottle of port would do that if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable i certainly don't recommend christianity and Mm -hmm. i you know i was hearing reminded of that verse as i was hearing these these verses specifically um this idea that you know there are these really uncomfortable moments in scripture um but they're they're there to to convict us of our sin to turn us back to Christ. Um, and so, you know, again, in John's gospel, you know, in this moment in history, this is is just one moment in the lives of these people, these disciples who had followed Jesus. And we don't know, you know, we don't know their names. We don't know where they went after this or what their reaction to Jesus' death and resurrection was. Um, you know, it's it's my my prayer that, you know, perhaps some of them, um, did turn back to Christ after, you know, after hearing and seeing uh, the culmination of what Jesus had had come to do. We simply don't know um, in their case, but we do know in verse 67, uh, Jesus then turns to the twelve, and this is the first time in John's Gospel where the twelve are are singled out. Uh, up to this point, we've met some of the twelve, uh, you know, in these interactions Jesus has had. But this is our first time where you know John you know turns to them pointedly, and he says, uh, "Do you want to go away as well uh it's It's almost a mirror of that moment where um Jesus uh, asks his disciples, Well, who do you say that I am?" you know after you know hearing uh the confession of others, and uh Peter here, like then, is the one who speaks up and he says to him. Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, you have the words of eternal life. Um, and so I think as we read God's word, the, the helpful thing here, since this is dealing with a really tough saying of Jesus, is that we shouldn't shy away from difficult passages or seek to kind of explain them away. Um, we can use scripture to interpret scripture for sure. Um, but instead, I think you know one of the things we can do uh, is take our cue from the 12 here and, and really Peter's response Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's, a, it's an incredible confession of faith that Peter gives. Yeah. And yet even here in this moment, we know that because we know the rest of the story, um, you know, we can ask the question, you know, did Peter fully understand what he was saying when he makes this confession, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't believe so. I, I think maybe he, he thought he did at this point. Um, but as you're gonna see the story of Jesus you know, kind of unfold here in John's gospel, um, Peter himself will deny knowing Jesus three times. And then John is going to give us this beautiful moment of restoration on the beach at the end of his gospel with Peter. Um, and so, you know, when, when we're called by faith, it's not a call to understand everything, be able to answer You know, as if we're playing Bible trivia, every question that we may come to in God's word or that people may throw at us um, in those moments where we don't understand, it's an opportunity to dig deeper. Uh, It's an opportunity to, uh, you know, consult commentaries and the things that Christians have been writing about for the past 2000 years. Um, I would say you could Google it, but there's, you know, that's a whole uh, a treasure trove of misinformation so beware if you do that uh you know maybe the best thing you could do in this moment is to go ask your pastor and say hey i was reading this passage and i'm wondering what you think because as a pastor i could tell you there's nothing i love more um, even when i don't have a lot of time on a sunday morning when someone comes up to me and says i was reading this thing and i'm wondering about about it and to be able to you know, maybe give an answer quickly, if I've got one or to say, Hey, can we meet sometime this week and we can talk through it, or I can send you an email later on. Uh, there's nothing your pastor's going to love more than, uh, interacting with you in that way over God's word. Um, uh, so yeah, I think we take our cue from, from the 12 here. Uh, you know, we, we daily dive into God's word, um, and that, you know, in our week, uh, we can, gather together around God's word and sacraments. Um, this is what we should be doing. God doesn't call us to understand everything. He calls us, uh, you know, by faith to trust in him. Um, and it's particularly in these moments when we have to do, not when we believe we've got everything nailed down. Um, but when we question and when we're, when we're wondering, Mm. yeah i mean we've, we've talked in in john's gospel
0: already about the importance of living by faith and not by sight and I, I think this is one of those moments where peter exemplifies that very well for us that you know i mean yeah based on everything that he's seeing and and even what he's hearing this is really hard and and how can someone accept this i mean like and do you want to go away too that maybe makes sense to the eyes but but to his ears to peter's ears the ears of faith like he knows well yeah maybe it looks more appealing to go away but What would I have there? Nothing. It's only with Jesus that I have the words of life. And and that that's where Peter is is gonna stick. And and the the rest of the twelve with him. And again, it's a beautiful confession of faith. As you said, particularly in those moments when we're not sure what to make of the word of God. This seems really hard trust that these are the words of life because they come from Christ himself and to to stick with them and to let Christ fulfill that promise of giving you life in his name. we got about three minutes here, Pastor Oglem. Make sure we want to talk about uh, the the way that jesus ends and a little bit of the note earlier about jesus knows who's going to betray him he yep. he knows about judas here now we're in john chapter six but we're already thinking forward to the end what do, what do we make of this mention of of judas being the one who's going to betray him already
1: yeah so we jump down to verse 70 jesus uh then says well he says um in you know we've peter goes on to say we have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of god and then jesus answers did i not choose you the twelve so again here he, he sets out what he says in verse 65, you know, again, he's the one who's making those, those choices and decisions. So did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. John's gospel more than any of the others, you know, we, we get the betrayal of Judas in each of them, but John's gospel more than the others, you can you get a sense of the feeling, the hurt that is wrapped up in that not just for jesus but for john and for the other apostles as well that um you know you you kind of you can't help but read john's gospel and what he talks about judas get this sense of you know you were our brothers you were with us you saw the same things and heard the same things and yet you still turned away and betrayed the lord of life and um you know it's it's here in verse in in chapter six where we see it but when you jump to chapter twelve, you see it again, where uh, right after the healing or the the raising, not healing, but the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and Mary is anointing Jesus, and it's Judas the one who's the one who uh, objects. And John makes the point to tell us he's not objecting because uh, of his concern for the amount of money that was wasted on this perfume that it could have been used to help the poor he's objecting because he was the one who held the purse for the disciples and he would help himself to it. And then, you know, again, when we get to uh, the end of John's gospel and we get this moment of uh, betrayal itself, uh, John himself is the one there uh, witnessing this all unfold. Um, you know, he's, uh, this is chapter 13. He's the one who is sitting next to Jesus um, So in that, in that moment, Jesus was troubled in spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, but then one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, you know, we recognize as as John in this gospel, he was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus. So Peter is like, John, you go ask him. Uh, And so he does. And, uh. He says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, It's he who's given who I'll give the morsel of bread that I've dipped. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you what you are going to do, do quickly. Now one at the table no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Uh, with John's gospel, you know, again, is famous for this, uh, use and language of light and dark, and it's here in this moment of betrayal that we get this notation from John and it was night. It, it was more than just the darkness of that night that made it night. In that moment, it was the betrayal of Jesus, the very son of God, uh, uh, you know, so this was, you You definitely in the end of uh, chapter six, you catch the sense of, you know, not just the tragedy of the disciples walking away, but the tragedy of one of the 12 who is going to be uh, the betrayer of Jesus here in this moment, the very uh, bread of life. Uh, and one of the 12 is the one who, uh, through whom this betrayal will come.
0: Right, yeah, you see you see the tragedy, but you also see the, the steadfastness of our Lord, for he will continue on, he continues to teach this word of life, he continues forward to his cross, that is where he's heading, to give his flesh for the life of the world. Pastor James Uglum serves at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri, helping us today with John 6, verses 60 to 71. Pastor Uglum, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, thanks, it was great to be a part of it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the Gospel of John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.